Okay, so for today, we are going to talk um, about something that in Chassidus, in Hebrew, is called kalim. In English, this is called vessels. Why? We're just doing that this morning. We're doing that in... For whatever reason. No, I feel bad. I was like, we're talking about actual Kalim or like the spiritual... The spiritual ones, yeah. Yeah, because we're talking about the world of Toe. We're talking about the world of Toe and how the Kalim broke. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, so I'm hoping to get to that. That was on the list of what we're going to try and get to today. The plan is if all works well, is that the first part of the class, we're going to be talking specifically about kalim per se, what that idea is in Hasidus. Um, and then with the goal of transferring to the idea that there are kalim that um, break and there are kalim that don't. The world of toe, which apparently you're learning about in the morning class. So I hope I don't end up... Well, okay. All right. The, the first thing to understand um, before we go forward is that in Hasidus, we often make um, important distinctions and we use the same terminology even though the terminology um, changes. And one of the distinctions that we make is what's called the difference between the pinimius or the inner aspect of something versus the chitzonius, the outer aspect of something. Um, The panemius of something, the innerness of something is, for lack of words, more how something is unto itself. Whereas chitzainius, the external aspect, is much more of how something is vis-a-vis others. Okay? So just a simple way of thinking about this. Um, Thought is an inward thing, right? It's directed at yourself. Speech is an external thing. It's directed at others. Good? Okay. But usually in Hasidus, we don't think of a thing being panemius or a thing being chatsoinius, inward or outward. We actually talk about the same thing and we divide it into two. Um, so let's talk about, for instance, Shabbos. So if we were to ask what Shabbos is, if we're looking at it from a chitzonis, from an outward lens, we get one answer. If we're looking at it from an inward lens, a panemius lens, we get a different answer. Okay. What is Shabbos in a panemius sense? Shabbos is a time of um, withdrawing from the world and returning to God. What is Shabbos from a chitzonius, from an external perspective? It's the observances that we have, such as not doing the forbidden activities, making kiddush, etc. Could a person observe Shabbos fully and richly and entirely miss the panemius of Shabbos? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I will say something that is not pleasant, but it's true, and most Jews do. And I mean most religious Jews. And I mean most religious Jews who take their Judaism seriously. Mm. Okay? 
Not that they're just going through Shabbos dryly, right? One can have a very vibrant, rich connection with the Chutzonius. Chutzonius is not necessarily the same thing as superficial. Okay? What would it look like for somebody um, if the panemius of the Shabbos was more dominant for them? What that would mean is that the as long as the Shabbos was within the framework of halacha, beyond that, there would be kind of an indifference to it. In other words, you have this food, you have that food. Like, Shabbos would be much more a time of, of as the verse says, the delight in God's presence. And, you know, the, the meals and the Devar the, 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 the and all these types of things they wouldn't really capture the person, okay? Because this is how Shabbos comes into the physicality of our lives. And that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, okay? Um, and Kabbalah does speak about the fact that not all souls are the same. In other words, it is not necessarily inappropriate for somebody whose soul is much more grounded in the world to connect more to the chitzonius manifest aspects of Shabbos. And there's the other souls where it's opposite. So it's the idea of taking something and splitting it into two. Okay. Now, in the, con- the sense of a kli, there's the panemius of the kli and there's the chutzenius of the kli. There's the inner aspect of the kli, the inner aspect of the vessel for what it is, and there's the external aspect. And here, it's not just that these things are different, they're actually opposite. The external aspect is how the vessel is able to provide, to influence other things. Whereas the inner aspect, which is the vessel, the kli as it is for itself, is about how it's a makabal, how it receives. The external is how it gives and how it influences. So let's just use the example of, of, of scholarship. When a person is a teacher, Right? They are functioning as the external aspect, the chetsoinius of a kli. Right? If the scholar is a kli for wisdom, then when they are teaching, that is the external aspect. When they are growing in their own wisdom, when they are devoting themselves to their own acquisition of truth, right? which doesn't involve other people, doesn't involve students, then that would be the panemis, the inner aspect of the kli. And the idea is that the interesting means that's what it is for itself. So fundamentally, a kli is not a means to transmit something to someone else. Fundamentally, a kli, a vessel, is a, is a way of containing, of housing something. So to be a kli for something means to hold it, to contain it, to make it part of yourself, or another way of putting it, to make you an instantiation of what, you, of what you're contained. The fact that once you have something, you can then influence others from that place is true, but is external, right? In the sense that it's not, re- it's not really what being a Klee is about. It's, it, it's something that being a Klee makes, po- being a Klee makes possible. In other words, if you truly know something, you can teach it. But the value of knowing something is not in the fact that you can teach it. And in a certain sense, by teaching it, you're moving away from what it really is to know something. 
Because to know something means that there is value simply in the fact that you possess that knowledge, that your life is an embodiment and instantiation of that knowledge. Which is why Chazidah says, for instance, that a person on their own, right, is still, still needs to grow in wisdom. It has nothing to do with the fact that they have other people that need to teach. It's not, it's not a social thing in principle. In general. Mm. The, but if you're teaching what you know, then how is that? Are you teaching what? If you're, teach, you're teaching what you know, mm-hmm. how is that taking away? Yeah. Because what are you not doing when you're teaching? You're not, you're not, you're not, you, you, you are not focused on your own acquisition of knowledge, of your own embodying of the knowledge. You become focused on how that knowledge can reach others. Which is usually also by one Well, the, the, for the purposes of this class, it doesn't really matter. It, it completely orients um, away, okay? Let me, let me put it to you like this, yeah? Why should you do well in school? That's right. See that how that's chutzenius? In other words, th- what I gain here enables me to do the next thing. Okay, what, so that means you're, you're not recognizing the value, if there is anything, in intrinsically in, in the knowledge you're gaining right now. Right? Yeah. Okay. But when you're teaching something, it also like, makes it stronger within yourself. That might be, but that's not going to be related to today's class. I'm not going to talk about that. Hey. Okay. Um, in other words, someone, who, someone, the 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 idea that a kli is the way you are able to a kli a vessel means is a way to be able to to share something or give something over is not wrong, but it's but it's but it's taking the kli outside, taking the vessel outside of what it really is. What it really is is a way of containing, of housing, of embodying something, and that that has value in it of itself. That makes sense? Okay. So now, there are, primarily speaking in Hasidus, there are three parts to a kli. How many parts are there? Three. So let us count them. That's right. <laughs> okay. We are going to use my cup of water. The cup of water is in Hasidus used as the f- most um, physical example of a kli. So there are Three parts of my cup of water, but keep in mind that that three is not really three, it's actually four. So, I will let you try to count them. I want actual things, not bottom. the bottom. Like this is a distinct part. No, that doesn't count. No, you're not wrong in terms of thinking and fu- functionality, but I want actual parts of it. The walls, okay. Opening. The, the walls, there's the opening, okay. Anything else? Borders. Well, the circularity has nothing to do with it. Because yeah, we're talking about it being a cleat, being a cup. Those are the walls, right? The water. Good. The water. Three, what? Okay. That's a good question. That is a very good question. Why is the water considered to be part of the yeah. cup? That is a very good question. But it is. There's the water. For our cases, it's water. Let's go with the water. Let's oversimplify it. 
There's the water, there's the walls, there's the empty space. Anything else? There's, there's borders to the two walls. What do you mean there's borders to the walls? Like this little thing. The, but, but, but if the cup didn't have that, it would still be a cup, right? The fact that it's in your hand, like you're... No, no. It can be like portal. The material that connects yeah. it all, like you mean like... You can just... Empty it. I mean, walls are obviously made of a material. Okay, I'll help you out. There's the outside wall, and there's oh, the inside wall. Inside. No, it's not. Let us imagine, for argument's sake, that instead of this cup, I were to go um, to a place where they're pouring concrete, and I were to stick something in the concrete to make a cavity this size, and then the concrete sets and I walk away, what would I have? I would have the inside, but would I have the outside? No. No. And conversely, what? Why not? What is? Let's start with the outside. What does this? Fa- what does the outside wall Should facilitate? Protection. It allows me to hold it. Right. What I can't do with a giant slab of concrete with a, the same size cavity is I can't pick it up. Right. What this? What this wall allows is it allows me to interact with it in certain ways. So this is the, called the chutzonius of the kli. And I don't just mean simply because it's physically on the outside, although it happens to be that, so it's easy to use. What that means is that the purpose of this part of it, and what makes that distinct from a giant slab of concrete, which happens to have the same size cavity in it, is that I can actually pick it up and use it, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to use a different kli for a second. Um, does anyone have a pen? that I can disassemble. And they'll be willing to tell me to disassemble the pen. As long as I can disassemble the pen. Okay. okay. This is a pencil. Actually, you know what? This is even better. The pencil is even better. Okay. So this... Is not this is a this is a pencil. This is not the pen, this is not the chutzonius of the pencil. You can break apart the back. And it comes out. The whole thing comes off. The whole thing comes off. Good. Okay. This entire thing is the chutzonius of the pencil. Why? Every single part what I'm holding here is to enable me to write with this. Right? For instance, if I had the power of telekinesis where I could just move things by will, we could get rid of this and I could just write by just having my mind move the lead around, right? But since the lead is very small and it is fragile, if I tried to do it with my pudgy fingers, it was not effective. And so we have this part of the pencil that enables me to interact with it, right? To utilize it. Well, that's really what the outside of the cup is for, right? The outside of the cup allows me to pick it up, move it around, drink from it if I want, right? I... I have the ability to engage the cup. I mean, the cup is passive, but if the cup were an active thing, the cup has the ability to engage me on that level, right? So that's what we mean, it's the chutzonius, right? What does the kli have that makes it able to interact with? Others, other things, right? 
Which part of the walls? The outer walls, only the outer walls, right? So again, imagine my slab of concrete, right? Even though it might be able to hold water just as well, I can't exactly pick up the slab of concrete and drink from it, can I? So it's, that would be lacking the chitzonius, the external aspect of the cleat. I mean, maybe it's, you know, it's a term, different kind of external aspect. Good? Okay. The four parts of the cleat are the external? the external wall. They're all no, no, I didn't the say external, that. The, internal the external wall, the internal wall, the empty space, and the, and the water. So which part is the chitzainis? The chitzainis is only the external wall. Everything else is part of the panemia sakli. Everything else is part of the kli itself. Because the other three parts, just one second, the other three parts are all about being a recipient, about what holding. Okay? Now, The empty space is the critical component. Of the three, the one that is the kind of the, the, the core of everything is the empty space. Why is the empty space the core of everything? Well, otherwise it can't hold right, right. It's the empty space it makes it a that makes it a vessel, right? It's the empty space that actually the water is occupying, right? No empty space, it can't receive anything, can't hold anything, right? Okay. On the contrary, I would say that a cup not filled with water is not fully a cup because it's, it's not holding water. Mm-hmm. In other words, like this. This part, I want to just tell you this part. This part is is goes into those things that I said in the previous class that are counterintuitive. So some people might have figured this out, and some people it's going to actually be very difficult. So let me explain without interruption. We have to think of empty space not as the absence of something. You know, it's like, there's, there's nothing here. So like, there's nothing stopping my hand from moving, right? That's not what we mean in empty space in this context. What we mean by empty space is that it is a space that is meant to be filled. And so if it is not being filled, right? Something that is not reaching its state of fulfillment <laughs> is lacking. So the irony is, is that the empty space is less itself when it's empty than when, than it's full for the thing that is supposed to be there. Okay. Many years ago, I gave a class to a, to a seminary and they were having a hard time with the city. So I gave the following analogy. I said, okay, let's imagine you have a baseball glove, right? What makes it a clee for a baseball? And someone said, well, you know, because you, you, know, you throw the baseball and like it catches the baseball and stops the baseball. I said, okay, but if I throw a baseball at your face and, and I throw it hard enough that it kind of just wedges itself in your nose, right? We wouldn't say that your face is a clee for the baseball. Why? Because it's, it's not meant to be there, right? Your face is not meant to receive baseballs in the okay. nose there. That enables it to fly is what makes it a cleat, or no, no, that, no, 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 no. Oh, the 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 the, glo- the baseball glove. No, the baseball ball. The baseball. Glove. No, no, baseball. The the the, no, the, glove. the glove. The glove, right? What makes the glove a cleat is that it's designed. It's meant to receive the baseball, right? Yeah. 
right? So imagine, right, a guy who's like playing baseball, he's got a baseball glove, and he never manages to catch a ball. Like, you're thinking like, well, why does he need a baseball glove at that point? Like, if you're that bad at it, right? So that baseball glove is never truly its little self. Until it's actually catching baseball. That, that- Makes a catch, right? Right. This is the idea of what's called teleology, that things are meant to achieve a certain end. And then they, and then they become fulfilled. So let me just finish the thought. So the empty space of a kli is not the absence of things that don't interfere, therefore, with other things. It's a space that is purposeful. It is meant to be filled by something. Okay? Why do you have a mug... And a wine glass. Why not just suffice with one? Because they're each meant to be filled with something else. That's right. The mug is meant to be filled, let's say, with hot liquids, right? Mm-hmm. And the wine glass is meant to be filled with wine. wine, right? These spaces are meant to be filled with different things. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Which is why the thing that fills the space is a necessary part of the cup. Right? I cannot say that there is a cup unless, I, unless there is some sense of what is supposed to fill that cup. And in, in a deeper sense, this space is fully fulfilled when the space is filled with whatever is meant to fill the space. So the water, both as a defining and ultimately fulfilling thing of the space, is in fact part of the cup. That make sense? Okay. What's the inner wall for? The inner wall gives structure to the space. In other words, the one you think about is like this: is the inner wall, on a conceptual level. Just I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack to this in a moment. On a conceptual level, the inner wall does not interact with the water. The inner wall. The inner wall does not interact with the water. What does it interact with? The outer wall. The space. The space. What does the inner wall do? It defines. The space, and it is the space that interacts with the Right, but because the inner wall is what really defines the space itself, it ends up being that the, that, the, that the water touches the inner wall, right? In other words, so practically and effectively speaking, the shape of the water, right, the pressure of the water are all determined by the inner wall, but not because of the inner wall directly interacting with it, but because the inner wall is, is, is giving a shape to the space that is meant to be filled by the water. That's why, by the way, if I were to poke, poke a hole in this cup, right, it would be problematic because now the inner wall is not able to give the right structure to that space. Now, if this was a cup that was meant to hold jelly beans, would a small hole, right, Right, so the inner wall defines and gives structure, gives tangibility to the space, which both makes it that it's oriented towards a specific type of thing that's supposed to fill it. And also when that thing fills the space, that thing ends up being instantiated or, or, or colored or shaped by that inner wall. Okay? So what we call this is as follows. The technical terms of this in Chassidus would be the external part of the Kli, the middle part of the Kli, the inner part of the kli and the light. Okay. What's the first one? Sorry. The external part of the kli, the, the middle part of the kli, mm-hmm. the inner part of the kli, and the light. But I can actually collapse the light, the inner part, and the middle part 
and just call that the inner part of the clea because those are the three ingredients to being a clea, right? If you are a clea, you are meant to receive, to embody, to contain something. The thing you're containing in Kabbalah is called the light. So you're defined in terms of that. The space within yourself that that light occupies is called the inner part. The thing that gives that space its structure, its reality, and ultimately, therefore, is what determines the way in which that light is encountered and experienced is called the middle, middle part. And, those are, and so if a kli is for itself a recipient, a container, an embodiment of something, then really all of those three things can be subsumed into the general category of the panemius of kli, the inner part of the kli. Whereas the idea that once something has that kind of um, instantiation, that embodiment, that being somewhere, that it can now interact and influence other things, that, that's an entirely different topic. Right? Now that you really know something, it's a separate question whether, you can teach, whether you're going to teach other people. Yes? Is the part of the light that's in the clea that is connected to the penis of the, the internal part of the vessel, is that really the external part of the thing itself, of the light? Because... I don't want to talk about. It. I, I understand why. I understand why you're asking that, but and it's not. insightful. I, I it, there's too many things that are going to go around in this class that I don't want to talk about it. So the the train of thought is 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 a good train of thought and should be developed, but, but not today. Like, I, I don't want to. I, I really don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You mentioned collapse. Right. There's a notion. There's, there's a notion in in thought that things which are different can be grouped together, and that can either be a good thing or a bad thing. So sometimes distinctions are important and they're ignored, and that you're inappropriately collapsing, right? all coming together when it shouldn't be. Um, but sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes um, really many different aspects really should be kind of brought together. And that's a, so, so what I mean to say that they can be collapsed is that, that yes, there is a distinction between the water which fills the space and the space which is meant to be filled with the water and the inner part of the plastic that gives that space its shape and definition. Yes, those are three distinct things, but they are all necessary parts of being a recipient, of being a clee. Mm. Whereas the idea that I can pick this up is like a totally different idea. It's, it's very unrelated in a certain sense. Okay, these are all directed at, those three elements are all directed at each other and bring about this idea of embodying something. Okay, so far, so this is like not so bad, right? Okay, now let's talk about a person. What would it mean for a person to be a clee? I don't mean your body being a clee for your soul. I mean a person to be a clee. Like to have an empty space. Aha, you'd have to have an empty space. What did we just learn about empty spaces? They're meant to be filled with something. So here is the initial problem. No, no. The initial problem is, I could have, I, for instance, I could have a cup and it could be filled with sand. It's not meant to be enough to empty out the sand, right? And then I can put water in it. That's not the initial problem. That may be an actual problem. The initial problem is like this. What am I supposed to be filled with? What am I supposed to be embodying? And the reason why that is a difficult thing is because what does that mean? That means... It's not about how I influence others. It's not about my own self-preservation or, right? There's this something else which is not me, right? And my 
fulfillment is defined by the degree to which I embody this thing, which is not me, right? Go back to the cup, right? The, the, the cup is defined by the fact that it is the space is meant to be filled with water, right? But the cup is just emptiness defined by plastic. So in a sense, the cup is defined by this other thing called the water and therefore its fulfillment is found in the way how much it is able to hold the water, right? Well, if I am a Kli, what does that mean? My life is defined not in terms of what I'm supposed to be filled with. Well, because I could fill a kli with something that's not supposed to be there, and that's not right. What makes you a kli is that's supposed to be filled with something. What am I supposed to be filled with? What am I supposed to be embodying? Hashem. One second. I want to spend some time on this. I want to rush to saying the thing, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be filled with Hashem. Like, that's very nice. Okay. Okay. Let's take something very concrete for a moment. If you lose $100, is that a bigger problem than if I lose $100? For us, for me, yeah. For you, yeah. Why? For sure it is. If you lose $100, it's a bigger problem than if I lose $100. For you, right? I mean, I would say the reverse. Why? Okay. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? Because it's your... No, because it's yours. It's yours. No, because no, fine. Someone has someone else's money, right? Has less value to you than your money. So when they lose their money. Okay. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Okay. Here's the thing. Let's take this word. It's a dirty word called truth. The truth is that your life is not of any greater significance than mine, and my life is not of any greater significance than yours, right? Mm-hmm. So the value of money and the tragedy of it being lost, right, is based on the, 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 the imposition it causes on a person's life, then you losing $100, in truth, is no more or less a tragedy than me losing $100, right? Yeah? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. No, it's to me, my $100 loss is bigger than your $100 loss. To you, your $100 loss is bigger than my $100, right? Make sense? But to the truth, those two things are... Okay. The truth of what? Of the money or like... The truth is that is my life of any more significance than yours? Is your life of any more significance than mine? My question was to you. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't... Th- I didn't ask the question to you. I just asked the question. I said there's different ways of answering it. To me, to you, and according to the, the truth. Well, now here's the thing. Are you a clee for the truth? Supposed to be. Well, no. Being a clee for the truth, then we can ask, right? If you're a clee for the truth, that means you're supposed to be filled with? Truth. Which means you're supposed to feel... And if I don't feel that, I'm like the Kli that is lacking the thing that is supposed to fill it. Oi. Oi, right. Well, who says it's the truth that we're supposed to be filled with? 
Well, I just picking a concrete example because when we say Hashem, we can all like, oh, that's so beautiful, and then walk away. <laughs> but then you say like, oh, I am supposed to be bothered by your financial losses to the same degree that I am bothered by my own, or conversely, I'm supposed to be not bothered by my financial losses to the same degree that I'm not bothered by yours. There's no question which, you know, which of those two things is the right one, but, but the idea that somehow they're different because one is mine and one is yours, it's not a thing. Okay. Um, should we go a step deeper? Okay. Um, anyone want to be a volunteer so I can pick on them slightly? Okay, you're willing to be a volunteer? Okay. What's your favorite holiday, Jewish holiday? Pesach. Pesach. Okay. What do you like most about Pesach in a religious sense? Words, don't, tell, don't tell me the food you're nostalgic about, but like, you know, is it, in other words, is it like, do you like, do you like selling over the story? Do you like the, yeah, the math? Like, like what parts of Pesach really speak to you? The Seder. What about the Seder? Telling the story. Okay, great. Okay. Now, so would I, would I be fair to assume that it's an important thing to you as Pesach approaches to think of where you're going to spend the Seder so that you can get like the most out of that telling over the story of the Seder experience? Okay. How many Jews live in your Shalayim? Guess. Order of magnitude. A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand. What do you think? Just pick, pick a number. What do you think? I'll say 100,000. 100, okay. Now, is their Pesach any less important than your Pesach? No. So if you are clear for the truth, how should you feel? That doesn't matter where I have my favorite. That, no, no. Well, that, that you should be concerned about? That you should be concerned about? All of those people. Oh, gosh. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right. Yes. You, you're seeing this, right? The, but the thing is, right, that you should be personally concerned because I am, now, if I'm not, that means, so I'm not, am I, but I'm, again, this is about the supposed to be, right? So being a cleave for the truth means I am supposed to feel things and live my life from the place of truth. Now, I realize there's a practical problem that you cannot actually, no, you can't actually act on that. Okay, that's a problem, but that's, that, that, that's not, that's about how you interact with the world. We're not talking about it. We're talking about what, what you're a cleave for, what your, what, what your life, who you are, what that's filled with, what that's supposed to be filled with, okay? Um, Hasidus teaches us that there's nothing other than God, okay? Whatever that means. Okay. Chabad Hasidus emphasizes that a Jew is a clee for the truth that there's nothing other than God. So what does that mean? Wait, can you say that a Jew yeah. is a clee for the truth that there's nothing other than God. What does that mean? I was meant, meant to be filled with that truth. So what should I love? Everything God. God. Everything Anything that reveals that truth? What should I despise? Do I feel that way? Do I have a problem then? Right? Now, if I poke a hole in this cup, I have a certain kind of problem, which is what? That the, 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 there's nothing that even, the thing that's supposed to give structure to that space is broken, right? 
But I could also have a different problem, right? I could have a problem that the cup is full of sand and I can't put the water in. That's a different problem, right? There was a chassid who came to the Alter Rebbe and he said, what am I lacking? And the Alter Rebbe told him, you're lacking nothing. This was a chassid who was um, a paragon of every Jewish virtue, a Torah scholar, good, good character traits, God-fearing, everything. Like, like, in every parameter one can, can look at how a Jew is supposed to be, they, this Jew excels. He says, so what am I lacking? And he says, you're not lacking anything. You need to remove certain things. <laughs> Right? You can have, right? My cup might not have any cracks. My cup might not have any fissures, but it might be filled with dirt. And as long as it's filled with dirt, can I put the water that's supposed to go in there in there? No. And that's a different problem than if the cup is cracked, right? If the cup is cracked, right? Then even if I empty it and start filling it with water, what's going to happen? See how these are, these are two different issues? And even if I have a perfectly intact cup, and even if the cup is empty, what if the cup is dirty? So I get the water in, but then what happens? It corrupts the water. Now the water isn't what it's supposed to be. It's a different problem, right? Yes? What if I... What if I Make sure there's no cracks. Make sure there's nothing filling up the cup. Make sure the cup is clean. Mm-hmm. I still have the problem of I need to get what? the water. Right? So you see like the notion of that you are a cleave for something, it, it creates a, a rich inner world and a rich inner life that has nothing to do with other people, nothing to do with anything outside yourself. Something beyond yourself, but not outside yourself, if you catch my meaning. <coughs> So if I'm going to be, let's go back to them. If I'm going to be a cleave for the truth, I've said to me, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I living in such a way that if the truth were inside of me, it would be, it would stay there or it would just leak out? For instance, here's an example, yeah? If I act in a corrupt manner, if I live my life in a corrupt and deceitful manner, and somehow I manage to get the truth inside of me, I have a sense of the truth, is it going to stay there? No, because... Because, right, when you act in certain ways that are inconsistent with, with certain things, you cannot hold them any more than a cup with a crack can hold water. Consistent, right? If you act in a way that is deceitful, that is corrupt, you will never be able to hold on to a sense of truth. It will slip right through you. So what does that mean? What comes has to come first? You know, first thing you have to make sure the cup doesn't have any cracks in it, right? So what would be the step? If I'm a clee, what do I need to? What do I like? What do I need to do? I never crack. So like, well, let's say I want to be a clee for the truth. What does that mean? Well, I have to say, okay, what? Yeah, what? What? I have to act in a way that is truthful, even before I have the truth. Well, maybe I need some guidance, mm-hmm. right? Somebody who knows something about water can say, well, you know, I guess the plastic requires, you know, to be, you know, completely, um, uh, completely uh, sealed all the way around, right? But if, you know, if, if you know that water, for instance, um, if, if you know that if you're dealing with not water, you're dealing with, say, 
um, jelly beans, right? Then you know that you can afford a crack here and a crack there. It's not the same thing, right? But yeah, you do need to have, you need to know what you're trying, what you're trying to be a cleave for and look like, do I have a problem? Do I not have a problem? Right? So it could be, by the way, that certain kinds of behavior make it that you can't hold on to certain more sublime truths, but you can still hold on to kind of more, kind of, 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 of more, more basic level truths, right? In other words, the sense that, you know, everybody's life is, is of equal value, I think is a far easier to thing for a person to hold on to and to embody than there's nothing other than God, right? So maybe the kinds of things that are a crack that would, that would cause, the, you know, the truth to slip through and not be able to hold on to it depends on the kind of truth we're dealing with, right? That makes sense? Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give you a different, you know, different example of this same idea. Um, one of the Bachram in the, in the men's program asked me a question about having relationships with members of the opposite gender before marriage. I'm not, like, why that's so bad? I gave several answers, but there's one answer that's relevant to today's class. Our sages say that when a man and woman merit, the Shekhinah dwells between them. Now, what that means on a very concrete level is that there is a certain kind of, for lack of words, a certain kind of, a, of, an, of a, an energy, a certain kind of a, of a kind of conscious space that is created between a couple when they're living properly that is filled with godliness. But what does that mean if those two people coming together is creating is now that's not a clea within just one person that's a clea created through the coming together of two people right? Well, what if there are cracks? Then can it hold it? Right. So there's all sorts of things. There's certain types of 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 behaviors and certain types of attitudes and certain types of things that mean that when you put the things together, right? If I take two things and I glue them together, but I don't glue them together well, right? And then I want to hold water, it's not gonna work, it's gonna slip through, right? But if you don't even realize that it's the, the that the relationship is supposed to embody this higher thing, right? It's supposed to be a clea for this higher thing, then you're looking at it entirely differently. Like, well, is it forbidden? Is it not forbidden? How bad is it? You're not even looking at that, right? Once I know this is meant to hold water, I, I want it to be watertight, right? Now there's other things, right? Let's say I'm acting in the way that I'm supposed to act, and, you know, but I am, for lack of words, full of myself. That my acting the way that I am acting is ultimately um, for some kind of personal satisfaction to create some kind of image for myself that I can kind of look at myself in my mental mirror and feel proud of, feel successful. So what would that be if I put that in the context of the cup? No. It's filled with, yeah, it's filled with something else. It, it, in other words, you could do everything right, yeah? But it's all filled with a sense of, of self. And then you're not a cleave for anything. And this is actually a tricky dynamic because you're working on trying to make yourself a clee, but focusing on yourself actually is like filling up the clee with sand or dirt and then you can't put anything. What's supposed to go in there will never get in. Right, that makes sense? Okay. One, one yeah, actually, yes, question, and then I'll go on to the third thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was like a stopping. Yeah. Um, 
So we're talking about, um, I know the like metaphor of the cup of the water is to like be able to like paint on to like being like a person, a person basically, but the idea that a cleave can just hold one thing, that's like, that doesn't really map onto the idea. That well, that, 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 that's what I'm going to get to later. Okay. That, that's what we're going to get to later. Okay. okay? Now, then we're going to talk about Kaylin breaking. Yes, that's when we get to that. Okay, then let's... Now, what if you're not full of yourself, arrogant, you're acting the right way, you could still be dirty. What do I mean dirty? Can you have... Um, for, is it possible for a person to have but lacking in self-honesty for not a person to have ulterior motives. Right? Those are things that are possible, right? In other words, you're not like self-absorbed and it's all about your like, you no, know, you really, you appreciate this thing is important and you're trying to be a clee for it, but there's, there's, it's, it, it, there's, there's these other elements that are still there. They don't prevent the truth from coming in. They don't prevent you from holding on to the truth, but what do they do? They warp it. They corrupt it. They dirty it. And so you end up with is not the truth. And in a certain sense, that's actually the worst. Right? It like it. Because it looks like the truth. And you're giving to your like, like. <laughs> So imagine you have, right? Imagine you, you, you have a person and they, they have a sense of that, all of that. And that ends up feeding all sorts of negative behaviors and negative, right? They have a sense of the truth. They may really have a sense of the truth, but it can be, it can be corrupted. The Hasidus says that, for instance, because of this, right, when people pray, ideally, they become very passionate about God. But because they might not be perfectly a clean clee, so that pa- they're a clee, proof being is they had a sense of God that makes them passionate about God, etc., etc. but they may not be a perfectly clean clee. And because they're not a perfectly clean clee, what is the result of feeling too much passion for, feeling passion for God when you're not perfectly clean inside? It's the wrong type of... You murder people. That's what it says in Hasidus. What? Murder. Yeah? Murder. Right, that thing. <laughs> so that's what it says in all the discourses, in all the Hasidic discourses. Um, there is one Hasidic discourse that I have found that actually explains what this means. Our sages say that when you humiliate somebody, you are murdering them. So it's not a hard thing to imagine. Someone, becomes, someone, has a, someone has a genuine and authentic sense of closeness to God and they're extremely passionate about it, which means, and let's even say they live a lifestyle that enables them to hold on to that sense. It's a kosher lifestyle, right? But they're not perfectly clean inside. That passion about God can often become a kind of a holier than thou very quickly in which ends up becoming the motivation to publicly... Shame other people. If they were perfectly clean, it would have ever happened. But there was something dirty inside. Not preventing them from having that experience. It wasn't like that self-absorption that doesn't prevent it, right? And so, like, it, it becomes a... It, as I'm saying, the notion of panemius means, like, my life is oriented around something beyond myself. And I need to live in a way that I can hold that thing. And there needs to be space in me for that thing. And that space needs to be clean and not corrupted. And what else? 
Because of that, that, the space that I end up creating will be uniquely my own. It will be shaped like me. And there's a weird kind of tension here because on the one hand, my life is not about me and yet the only way I can be a cleave for this thing beyond me is to be extremely honest with my own unique individuality because I, I can't, you know, if there's only so much plastic, you can't make the cup too big, right? What do you mean? But you can never be like perfectly clean. I mean, like we're not... We're I don't know. One second, one second, one second. One second, one second. Maybe you can and maybe you can't. And if you can't, then you're going to have to find some way of dealing with that. You might want to have a book about that. I don't know. Something like the Tanya. All right, might deal with that issue of making your life being a cleaver something that you can never be a perfectly good cleaver for. Yes, that that that's an issue. No, 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 no. It's more complicated than that. I'm not, I'm not going into any. I'm not going to go into. It's not. It's more complicated than that. It's more. It's more. Nuance than that. Okay, there was once a, a chassid. Um, my mind is blanking right now on his name. Um, Chanach Hendel Kogel. Chanach Hendel Kogel. It's Ashkenazi, right? <laughs> Eastern Europe. So he, he was, if I remember correctly, he was a businessman. Um, and later in life, he wasn't, he like, didn't have any money and his... Um, and his wife had since passed away. And so he basically moved to the town of Lubavitch to retire. And he was extremely poor. Um, and he was a Klee. Now, the, the previous Rebbe knew him. He was kind of like a, 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 um, a father-like figure to the previous Rebbe. Um, he, he was like a very deep and profound chassid. The previous Rebbe writes that, that generally speaking, the way, the way it works is that um, there's a kind of correlation between a person's mind and their heart. So the deeper the mind, the deeper the heart. And so the great chassidim who could be like a, 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 a kli for deep truths were people with profound minds and very, very deep hearts. Um, and he said about Chanachan um, Kugel that he was an exception. He had a very deep heart and a very average mind which was rare um, that a person like that could actually get the, the, this, the truth of Chassidus and, and really embody it and live it fully. Um, I'm going to tell two stories. One is a story of him successfully being a Klee, and one of is a story of him not successfully being a Klee to illustrate. I really want to tell the second story, but to highlight that, I need to tell the first story. So in Tsarist Russia, there was an issue, there was a draft, and the draft was a very, very serious problem. First off, um, physical conditions were horrible. Religiously speaking, it was untenable, and so Jews would try as much as possible to get out of being drafted into the Russian army. Um, and there was a, a chassid who, lived, who was in Lubavitch. He was, um, uh, originally he was a bacher, and then he got married, and he, he, he ended up being the, 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 the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Shab's secretary, and then the sixth Chabad Rebbe, the Friedrich Rebbe secretary, his name was Chanya Merozov. And Chanya Merozov eventually got an exemption from the Russian draft. And when Chanya Chendel Kogel heard that Chanya got an exemption from the draft, he ran across the town of Lubavitch into the Rebbe, not that big of a town, by the way, but wherever he was too, and he ran into the Rebbe Rishab's house and into the Rebbe Rishab's 
private audience room where the Rebbe Rashad was sitting there by himself, which is like something you don't do. Like you don't just like walk into the Rebbe's room uninvited. And he grabbed the Rebbe Rashab and he started dancing with him and he started saying, um, which means Chanya's gotten out. And like it took him a while to like, I think realize that like he had just like barged into the Rebbe's room and, and, and grabbed the Rebbe and was dancing with the Rebbe. But because, now what was his relation with Chanya Marozov? Like it wasn't his son, it wasn't his kid. But, and, 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 and he, the, the, the positivity of that fact that he was free from that Right? He felt that in himself so deeply, right? It, it, he embodied that. And On a small scale, we kind of felt that when Rebosh was breathing. Right, I don't know. So I mean, th- this idea of being a Kli in the heart. You can be a Kli in the mind. Don't so, the empath- so, so one time he was having, he was, he was in, having the Shabbos Suda um, with the fifth Chabad Rebbe. The fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rebbe Shab, the way his Shabbos worked is that he would learn Chassidus and Davin the entire Shabbos. And then closely before Shkia, he would finish Shachris and he would make Kiddush and have a little bit of Mesainus and then he would have a Mincha and then right before Shkia he would sit down and have the um, Shabbos meal. That was how it worked. So he spent the whole day doing what? Right. Trying to inside and inside be close to God. So, um, And there were some, you know, there was guests or a few chassidim and they were, and the, and the Rebbe Shah was speaking to them or talking about different things in chassidus. And after the meal finished, they, they benched, they daven marav, they made havdalah. Um, and the previous Rebbe noticed that the Tchonachanel Dukogel didn't daven marav with them and that he went off to his own apartment, his own little house, which was like nothing and leaked and I had nothing going on there. And he daven marav, daven evening prayers, for three or four hours with tears. It's like not like, you know, it's not like a normal thing to do after Shabbos. And they were close. And so the previous Rebbe was, a, was, a, was a, a child of, I don't know the exact age when this was, but let's say he was around 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that, maybe seven, eight, I don't know. And he asked him like, what, what's this? And so he, he, he told him, he said, the fact that I didn't get when they were talking about the ideas of Chassidus. Okay, I didn't get those things. But when, they, when the Rebbe told the stories and they didn't touch my heart, every Jew is entitled to a little bit of a Jewish heart. And so what was he crying? What was he pleading with God for for three or four hours, Metzi Shabbos, in his evening prayers? That he, for some reason, he wasn't a Kli for these stories. Why? Not because he didn't understand the stories, not because he couldn't repeat the stories, because these stories should have done what? They should have touched him. They should have moved him. They should have changed him. And it didn't happen. But this is part of what the idea of being a Kli is that your prayer is directed at what? Making you able to to be a Kli. Asking for God's help that you should be successful in being a Kli and getting rid of what you need to get rid of, building what you need to build, etc., etc. Good? Okay. Can we stop and say, like, we're done? We kind of have a sense of what we mean by a kli? Mm-hmm. Okay, now I've talked about the idea of a kli, and then I put it within the context of a person. There's also a notion that, like, God's revelation also has kalim, and the same rules apply, but we'll talk about that some other time. Okay, now we're going to talk about the idea that kalim break. Why would a kli break? So the rule is like this. There's kinds of, there's, chassidus use the terminology of Kabbalah. There's two types of realities. There's called the reality of tohu and the reality of tikkun. Um, it usually gets translated as chaos and rectification. I don't care what you call it, really. 
Um, here's the rule. The kalim of tohu break. And what happens when the kli breaks? What happens to what it was holding? It, it dis- it's no longer being contained. Um, but you do have some remnant of it. So the analogy that's used in Chassidus is that imagine you have a perfume bottle and you, th- and you throw it and it shatters. So now you pick up any of the shards of, perfume, of, the, of the bottle, right? So first off, it's just a shard of glass. It doesn't contain anything, but can you still smell the perfume? Mm-hmm. So you have this kind of imprint, this kind of, sense of what it contained in the shard but it's not there anymore okay so the question is well why did it break why would the clee break so do you know why the clee breaks the clee breaks because it's too small and if the clee is too small the light is too big it goes kapoom and therefore in order for your the clee not to break you need to have a big clee and relatively speaking, small light, and then it all works together. Good? Mm-hmm. Okay, what makes a kli big and what makes a kli small? That's what we have. So let me ask you a question. I have a wallet, and there's this room, okay? The whole room. Which is a bigger kli, my wallet or the room? The wallet, I mean for your money. The wallet is a... No, no, I mean, there's an objective way of measuring Kalim, which is a bigger Kli. My wallet or the room? Nope. My wallet. Because my wallet has more structure. It has two compartments like this. That's right. That's right. What, explain. What makes a Kli bigger is the sophistication and complexity of its structure. A giant wedding hall is a, considered a small clee. How many events can you have in a giant wedding hall simultaneously without it creating problems? One. What? One. At the same time. One. Now, if you have a small apartment where you have a distinct living room and a distinct kitchen and a distinct bedroom and a distinct bathroom, well, you can have four different things going on, relatively speaking, that won't interfere with each other, right? The more complexity and structure there is to the Klee. Well, I thought it depends on what you're holding. No, no. I'm talking right now just about the Klee. When, when Hasidus speaks about a Klee that is a bigger Klee or a smaller Klee, what it means, the technical for this is schalkos, how much distinction there is, right? The opposite of collapsing things. Right? Small children have small Kalim. What does that mean? They can't hold one idea. It's it's more than that. That one idea, they treat it very black and white. It's very absolute. Okay? You have two people having a conversation and one person has a very, very clear way of looking at things, right? There's the right thing and there's the wrong thing. Once we've ascertained that this is right, ergo, everything else is wrong. And the other person is a sophisticated person. And they appreciate, number one, that there are multiple reasonable ways to approach things. And that generally speaking, um, any productive approach to things usually needs to incorporate different aspects of things. These are just how their minds work. 
before they approach the topic they're having a conversation about. Do you understand that they're not going to have a, the conversation is going to be somewhat frustrating because it doesn't matter the topic. They're not compatible with the way they think about things. Okay, so here's the thing. You can only be a Kli effectively for one thing. This is the rule. A Kli can only be a Kli for one thing. No, a more sophisticated Kli appreciates that one thing isn't limited to one simple thing. That's right. In other words, like this. I can be a Kli for one thing. Let's say I'm a Kli for honesty. Okay? Now, if I'm a simple Kli for honesty, right, then I have this like very rigid thing. Like, like for instance, if someone asks me whether I think they're fat, yes, because I'm honest. <laughs> right? Now, you can see very quickly that can a person continue to live this way for very long? Now, but what if I have a more sophisticated sense of what honesty means? For instance, honest, right? For instance, let me ask you a question. Does honesty always mean that the words that come out of your mouth reflect exactly what you were thinking? No. No. I mean, what, what is honesty what is honesty? That's like, 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 like well, well, the more sophisticated you are, that's an interesting question, right? And it turns out honesty actually may contain within it, um, and I'm using this word intentionally, paradoxes. Things that, honesty may in fact necessitate conflicting things that need to somehow be managed, right? And someone who has a large clee, right? They are sophisticated, right? There's many spaces for different things. There's still a clee for one thing, but that one thing is able to incorporate multitudes. But if you're not a sophisticated Kli, it's not going to work. Okay? And here's the thing. There's a rule which is, called, which is the idea that the light always comes in accordance with the Kli. What that means is like this. If you are a simple Kli, right, we call it a small Kli, you get big light. What do I mean big light? Um, you get things that are, that are very absolute in nature. And therefore, I mean, you know, it's a perfect marriage, right? You're, sim- you're, you're simple-minded and you're dealing with absolute truths. How, how well does that last? Simple-minded people, absolute truths. That's, that's a stable reality? No. Sophisticated people with nuanced truths. Does that produce a stable reality? Yeah. What? Because if you're a sophisticated person, what does that mean? That you can relate to something in different ways and appreciate its complexity. And if your truth is sophisticated, you can allow for the fact that it itself is internally complex. It may have paradoxical elements. It entails interactions with other things. Okay. So you like, take me of like the classic Balchuva problem. I've decided to abandon my life of secular hedonism and I'm now going to devote my life to the truth of God's revelation at Sinai. Okay, great, wonderful. Um, yeah, does God's revelation at Sinai entail um, anything about your personal hobbies, life experiences? So clearly now what has to happen? Right, except for the ones that are overtly, you know, mitzvah things. Right now, if, like, now, if a person like, has a tendency in themselves to approach things that way 
And therefore, that's the sense of Judaism that they are sensing. And they try to be a clear for that. What is going to happen? <laughs> They're going to fall apart. They will fall apart, right? And what's left is not like some sort of cohesive life. It's a very fragmented life, right? With little senses of like stuff. And it's a mess, right? And then you have to pick yourself up and put it back together again. Right? And hopefully the second time around, you make it a sophisticated clay and appreciate that the truth is not just absolute, but in fact, its absoluteness is found in its nuance, in its subtlety, in its complexity, in its flexibility. And then, as you know, oh, there's ways in which, you know, my own unique experiences and personality and challenges, they, they interact with the revelation at Sinai in, in interesting ways. And therefore, I embody the truth in Sinai in a unique way. Now, you have to be careful you're not corrupting the truth at Sinai, right? We don't want the clay to be dirty. But you're like, it's two different worlds, okay? The, the, the underlying thing is that a, 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 if you are meant, you get, you get what you asked for. If, you're, if you are a kli, and this, but you are a small kli in the sense that you are simplistic about things, then the thing you're meant to get is also going to be this kind of simplistic, fundamental, absolute truth of things that doesn't allow for nuance, and then everything's gonna fall apart. You can't hold on to that. You can't live with that. You can't, right? But if, you're, but if you are, you are a, 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 a big kli, right? There's more hischalkos. There's the notion of division, of complexity in how, you, in how you structure that empty space within yourself. Well, then this truth, the godliness that you're trying to be a cleave for itself comes to you in a way that, that allows and facilitates nuance, perspective, maturity, integration. And so you're still a cleave for one thing, but that one thing is not to the exclusion of everything else. It's the one thing that is able to incorporate everything in the right way that, so that it all works harmoniously together. That's how Kalim are supposed to be. And so the way it works is that you have first half which Kalim, the small Kalim, and then they break. And then out of those shattered pieces, you try to build bigger, sophisticated Kalim. It sounds like childhood to adulthood, right? A child is a person who is a small Kli, and their life is about living with simplistic truths. And then what happens? Do those things, does that work very well? It gets shattered, right? That's like what happens when a person's a teenager. And then what do they happen to have to do afterwards? They have to put it back together. And are you supposed to be getting a different truth? No, but you're supposed to be getting that truth in a more sophisticated, a more nuanced way, which means you have to become a more sophisticated, nuanced person to bring that to yourself. Okay, yeah. The diff- okay, you explained like the simple and the more sophisticated person. Mm-hmm. Is there something fundamentally different about the light that they're receiving? Because yeah. it seems like it could be the same, but they just experience it based on yes. their Yes. The, 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 the difference is, I'm going to use an analogy for this. Um, there are big questions in life. And if you have a big question and it, you, and I don't mean just like you ask the question, like it's your question, like it bothers you, like you need the answer, you're going to run into a problem. So this is an example of a big question. Like a person is like burning with a desire to know what is 
what is the purpose of life? Let's do that one. That's a big question, yeah? Like it really, like it's racking them, right? What is the purpose of life, right? And they finally find the sage, the rabbi, the wise man, the prophet, right? And the prophet sees that this person is, 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 is desperate to know what is the meaning of life. Now, is that wise man, sage, rabbi, prophet say, okay, let us start by calming down. We first have to ask ourselves some more fundamental questions. Like, and there's a process that we can engage. And if we do that, after about five years, we'll be able to appreciate that answer in some kind of, like that person is not in a place for that, right? So what do you do? What does that wise person, what does that sage do? Do they just shoo him away and say nothing? No, they work with them. But the person's not there. They're like, I need to know the truth. Why are we alive? For what purpose do we exist? What's the point of it all? Give like a very simplified answer. You, very, you just give a very simplified answer. And initially, how does that person feel? Like initially, satisfied. No, I'm taking it back. What? Taking it back. Let us say, one second, one second. No, 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 let's say, Let's, that's why I specifically said a sage or a, wise, a, rab, or like a wise person or, or, or a prophet. Not like just someone who happens to have the words and repeats them. Because this is important. Communicate, this is like a separate topic. This is, this, one second, this is a separate point. If I repeat the right words to answer your question, but I don't really know it, there's no way this is going to work. Okay? So... Like there are things that if one person says them, even if they send one line, you, it resonates, it's satisfying. It's, it's not just the information. Like for instance, when, when there are plenty of people who, who, when the Rebbe told them that the purpose of life is to connect to God, when the Rebbe said that, or the, the purpose of life is to bring Mashiach, that felt true, that's right. And then when someone else says it, it's like, that sounds like propaganda. <laughs> because it's not the words, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's, there, it, 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 it's communication between souls, right? I, right? So you're, you're, so that person, like, it, it would feel satisfying. It would feel like they've gotten something. And people like this sometimes, right? Okay, but then what happens? They're Let's say they're not mature. Like, they want to discover. Right, and, but immediately they start engaging it and now they have questions, right? But here's the thing. It's not just that their mind is not sophisticated. Do they, what they were given... It's not enough. It has this kind of, and this one, it has this kind of absolute and exclusivity to it. It doesn't lend itself to... Whereas, whereas when, when... when you're a sophisticated, when you're bigger clique, what you get actually, um, it has a very different feel to it. What's presented, so, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you an, an, an example of what this feels like. If someone comes and asks the same question about what's the meaning of life, right? But they come from a more mature place. What's that sage, prophet, wise person going to, going to do? Right. Well, they're going to start with premises, right? Because the person has presented premises, right? Their question is, I don't know what the meaning of life is. Like there's certain, 
structure to the question that's more sophisticated, that's more like they're working on certain premises. So they might start off by saying, well, one of the premises in your question we need to examine before we, we maybe that's the issue. Or, or maybe, right, you seem like they, they start engaging with what was presented to them, right? They're not just throwing out the same slogan. And so even if that conversation is short and is like two minutes long, it has a structure that that person can revisit and revisit and revisit the rest of their life. That makes sense? The wise person is filling that person's void with what they need to hear kind of thing. Right. But because what they're filling with it itself has a, 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 um, a richness and a complexity within it that can be felt, that person can then unpack it. And as that person becomes more mature and sophisticated, they can revisit it and see that it's actually much more mature and sophisticated than they ever realized to begin with. But if all they get is simply like a kind of like absolute truth that this is it to the exclusion of all else, that's what they're like. You're either it or you're not. It's, it's so binary. It's so absolute that they can't. There's nothing to there's nothing to unpack. Now, it may be that informationally wise, they're, they're not saying two different things. It may be that in fact these are two facets of the same ultimate truth. And they are. But they're revealed with totally different flavor, totally different sensibility. And one cannot be unpacked and the other can. Right? Um, and, and so in a certain sense, whose fault is the whole thing? When the Kalim break, it's the Kalim's fault. If the Kli is, is small, meaning there's not enough maturity, not enough sophistication, not enough nuance for what you're trying to be a cleave for, what will necessarily happen? You'll break. Which is why there is a view that you shouldn't necessarily try to be a cleave for everything, should you? Should you try to be a cleave for what you cannot? So there's this whole other idea of things which are supposed to be part of your life, but not in the way that you're a cleave for them. So, very simple example that the Rebbe spoke about. Children are simple, right? So the Rebbe said it's extremely important that when you are speaking with children and you are educating with children, you must not present the sophistication and the multifacetedness of Yiddishkeit, of Judaism. Because they are not clear for that. Try to tell a child that something is wrong, but because of X, Y, and Z considerations, in this particular case, it's not so bad. It doesn't, like, it doesn't, now, I'm not even saying, maybe, that's not, maybe that often is misused, but even when it is true, and by the way, conversely, right, you, if the person's adult, you just give them simple stuff. But, but, the, but in, a, in, a, in a different sense, this is where there needs to be some honesty, right? If a person is trying to be a cleave for something beyond themselves. Of course it's beyond you. If it's not beyond you, then you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not being a cleave for it, right? But at the same time, it can't be so far beyond you because it has to be something that you are going to be able to embody and contain, right? That the different elements of who you are can be integrated into that embodiment. Because you can only really be a cleave for one thing. And so Chassidus does speak an idea that there's something called an or makif or a light that does not enter the cleave. It's not, 
is not embodied in the clean. That's a different idea. And it's more to realize that a person needs both. There are things that you can, there are things that are meant to be part of our life and affect us and touch us, but we never actually are able to contain them. They, we're not able to hold on to them. We're not, they never, we, our lives are not an embodiment of those things. And, and what that means, by the way, is that for one person can be a clee for something that another person would never be able to be a clee for. And that goes back to the idea of individuality. Right? I might be able to be a clee for something and somebody else, and that might be like the maximum thing that I'm able to be a clee for, right? This, this cup can be a clee for water. It's like it's relatively limited what it can be a clee for. And for someone else, they can be a clee for so much more but those same things, if I were to encounter them in any kind of destructive way, I could not encounter them in a way of trying to be a clee for them. I need a whole different dynamic. And what happens when you try to be a clee for what you really can't be a clee for? You're too small. You get it in that kind of absolute exclusionary way. And eventually things break. All right. Yeah. What's the individual's responsibility, like which one comes first? Is it that they first think, okay, what do I want to be a clee for or what kind of clee do I want to be? Because it will you, don't have it to, you don't have the power to do that. Why not? What Is you're supposed to be a clee for depends on who made you. Mm-hmm. And what kind of clee you're going to be also depends on who made you. So then where does the person, that's what I was trying to figure you out. You can just make sure that the clee doesn't break or if it's broken, yes. fix it. And if there are cracks, patch them. And if, um, it's dirt, and if it's dirty, then to clean it, and if it's full, then to empty it, and if it's not, if it's not accessing what it's supposed to be a clee for, then find where that thing is being revealed, and right? those are the things, right? But you don't decide the kind of, yeah, you don't decide, right? You don't decide those things, and that's a, by the way, that's an important point of this whole thing, right? You, you do decide what to learn. That's like, honestly, you can decide what to learn. You can decide what to learn. You can't decide what you're clee for. If you learn something, you don't. You don't. So you're basically risking it when you try to learn. Oh, yes, for sure. So teachers are also risking it. 100%. Right? So there's no guide to how to do that? Well, I'll tell you like this. There's a few different things, okay? There's the Torah. And the Torah gives us certain basic parameters and structures, right? So halacha, don't violate halacha. And then you learn. And then if you learn certain things, they give you certain basic um, structures to help you kind of navigate things more generally, like what we just learned, right? That gives you kind of general structure. Um, Then there's mentors, people who are further along and have more experience. And therefore, they, you know, their their experience can often be very beneficial and guiding. Um, And then, of course, you might find someone who's like prophetic and like, you know, and then there's trial and error and, you know, hope that, you know, trusting that ultimately this is all being directed by God with his providence, right? But it's just not a... But that's 100% right. In fact, you may not, you may not find out that you, you may only become the clee for what you're a clee for after a very circuitous route. If, by the way, if you're a parent, there's an important thing to know. Like, let's say you truly believe that your child is supposed to be a clee for godly truth. Okay, that's fine. Does that mean that that's, does that mean that it's going to, that 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 they're going to be embodying godly truth as a twenty year old? I don't know. Maybe, but maybe the only way they can be a clee for godly truth is by having like a totally different set of circumstances and like experiences and struggles and building it up, and they'll become a clee for godly truth at age fifty five, right? It's and one thing to be responsible for your own. So, so that's right. So there's, ne- there's necessary humility that 
any mentor has to have, any parent has to have, any person has to have with himself, right? In other words, there's an idea of, what we, what we, it's like being a doctor, by the way. Doctors actually don't know. When a doctor gives you medication, they have no idea if it's gonna work or gonna kill you. They really don't. I'm serious. How many, how many patients die because of the treatment? It's a non-zero number, right? And let's just presume that none of the doctors that were prescribing it wanted to kill the patient. So why did they give it? They thought it would actually make the things better, but sometimes. So then how do the doctors deal with that? Disconnected. No. Disconnected. <laughs> what? There's a notion of faith and humility and when one is religious, this is even strengthened, that, that I have the faith that, it, that, that if I act, that is better than not acting. But that has to be based on experience and wisdom, right? It has to be based on humility, right? That you may not be made, right? And then if you add trust in Hashem, okay. I need to give you a totally different observation. You know there are people that are born not religious and don't know anything about Torah mitzvahs? They're Jewish? Yeah, you know there's such people? Why would God do that? Like, have you ever thought of, like, why would God do that? Like, if someone wants to, like, you know, forsake the religion, that's their business. Like, why does God give such a person children and then those children are set up with a huge disadvantage? Well, like, Do you ever think about that? What, like, why does anything happen well, I mean, like, physical suffering, we have, like, a whole body of literature about, okay? But, like, this is weird. Like, you should at least have the fair shot of, like, doing Torah mitzvahs, right? Being righteous. What's the answer? Everybody is a clee for the divine truth in a unique way. And the way in which someone who discovers what it is to be Jewish at age 65 after having been raised completely secular and having joined a Catholic monastery and lived their entire life in the church mm-hmm. is a very different kind of clea for godliness you know, than a guy who you know, went to ultra-Orthodox yeshivas his whole life, right? Yeah. And maybe God wants her to be different Caleb for different reasons. Thank God there is. Right? You understand what I mean? Like, like, you cannot know. There's, there's, a stru- no, you can, there's a structure, and you can, there's certain things you know are obviously proper, and things that are obviously improper, and there is a setup system where necessarily there will be a breaking of vessels. That necessarily, that's built in, that's, that's part of the process. Um, but yeah, you may not know, right? You know, there's a famous chassid named Hillel Paracher, and the first time he found Chabad, he was originally a Chernobyl chassid, and he found the Tanya, and he started learning chassidus, and he really liked it, and then he stopped. You know why he stopped learning Chabad Chassidus? Because he understood it. And he was concerned that if he feels like he's understanding things about God, what is that doing? It is filling him up and giving him a sense that he is capable of understanding. And in his sense that he is capable of understanding, he is now distancing himself from God. He never win. But you know what happened? You know what happened? He became arguably one of the greatest Chabad Hasidim that ever lived to the point that, that, that um, his, he lived his whole life to be a Kli to understand Hasidus just a little bit better. But apparently between one thing and the other thing, right, there need to be, there's, 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 right, you, you, don't, you don't always know that. There was, a, there was a Bachar who was learning in a Chabad Yeshiva and he was not doing well. And his father was very disturbed. So his father wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said to send him to a person named Rabbi Osher. 
Bushra in Yerushalayim. He was an eccentric person. He was a person who like had a weird way of dealing with things. So like let's say you would come like let's say a guy who's like a businessman is having problems with his like marriage. He would come to Russia, and so he'd like knock on the door because this wise man, and he he would say, he say I I, I and say and he would look at him and tell him here mop my floor, <laughs> like he would just like it was it was weird. He like had this way of like bu- breaking people down to build them back up, and he was like each story is cute. You start thinking this is all weird, but he was he had followers and he was very successful. So the Rebbe wrote back to the father to ask friends. Sorry, so he should go there. Um, if I remember the story. No, sorry. I was, the Rebbe wrote to ask a friend what to do. And the friend said, take your son out of the Chabad Yeshiva in England and send him to Yerushalayim to this guy in Russia for him. And then he was like, I'm going to send him out of Chabad. I'm not going to do that. And make a long story short, the Rebbe got someone else involved to convince the father to do it. The Rebbe, for whatever reason, didn't want the father to know that it was coming from him. Um... And the kid, he sent the kid, and he was here for, I don't know, better part of a year. And um, he was interviewed, and he said, yeah, had it not been that, I don't know if I would have been religious today. Now he's Chabad and everything, but like, he had to, you know, how you build up the clay, how you repair the cracks, how you clean something out, it's not always so obvious. There's things that work for most people that don't work for everybody. And when you are rebuilding from certain things, you end up with a very different type of a clay than if you're not re- rebuilding out of other things, right? And that's part of understanding divine providence. Not that we understand how it works, but that that's what it means. So you do your best. You trust in Hashem. You know, um, you look for guidance. You have humility. You pursue a course of reasonable action. Keep halacha. And, and pray a lot, right? I don't know like, what else I'm supposed to tell you. Like, that's how it works. Is this just, wait, I'm talking about like different types of pleas and like stories of people yeah. like the buffer. In some ultimate sense, does that mean they're all supposed to be wearing fedoras and like, you know, no, that doesn't mean that. Yeah, let me, let me, I, I, I want to tell you an important thing. You can be a cleave for something and not necessarily realize what you're a cleave for. Um, in other words, someone who really gets the truth there's nothing other than God might look at your life and see in what way you actually are a cleave for that, even though, because who's saying that you're supposed to be a cleave for that in terms of your like conscious lived experience? Maybe you're a cleave for that in some other sense. In other words, there's a way in which we often focus on like my overt conscious experience as like the only thing that I'm a cleave for. Like that's where I'm a cleave. And like, no, no, there's other parts of you. Right? There's your behavior. There's the values upon which you live your life. Right? There's, there's the, the choices you make, not necessarily the story you tell yourself about why you made those choices. Those are all parts of you, right? I'll give you one example. If a person gives tzedakah for purely selfish reasons, is he a clea for godliness? Sure he is. I want you to think about it this way. If you're focusing on the person, on the, you're focusing on the Jew, you're thinking this Jew is using tzedakah for ulterior motives. Sure, but it's but I want to flip it around a second. Maybe God found a way to use a self-centered brat to give tzedakah. In other words, if you start with God, like maybe God found a way to turn 
even a selfish, bratty narcissist into a vessel for godliness. Now, it, it's not not now the, the, the right. It's not necessarily in his conscious experience of what's happening, right? It, 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 Chabad Hasidus as like a discipline focus very much on trying to as much as possible make our conscious experience of life a kli. But that's not the only way. It also teaches that that's not necessarily the only place where a kli. And it's not even necessarily the most important place where we're a kli. Right, you can do all the right actions and not feel anything. Like keep allowing right. all that and you're being... And, and, you're, and, you're, and your actions, you are a kli. It's more, it's more involved. Yeah. 